Hey, welcome to Bonehead. It's Patrick Lucier. <laughs> now, this is one of the more exciting guests that we've had. And I know I say this, but I really mean it this time. <laughs> because I feel that you and Todd, had you been, let's say Drive Angry was a Corman film that came out in the 70s, you would have been gods. Yes, as, a, as it is, we weren't. No, and, but you are, you have a big fandom and we much appreciate your work and we're going to go through your work and I have a lot of questions and we all have some, several questions, but I, I was, I was sitting here, should I say this to him? Should I not say this to him? But I, I really wanted to, and I hope you're not offended by that. And I hope you know where that comes from. God, no. I, 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 uh, years ago worked with uh, Lou Arkoff, son of yeah. Sam Arkoff. Oh yeah. And uh, who would always say, you know, I'm just the son of a monster man. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, he taught to tell stories about th being 13, threading the monster movies up in his father's projector at the house to show his friends the monster really? movies. Because his father would use them as the focus group for the Roger Corman films. Nice. Uh, you know, I, I love all that stuff. But you know, his kid probably, it's all normal. So as uh, us thinking about what a wonderful childhood that would have been to him, it was just... Who's dead? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think Lou always appreciated it. I think he always thought it was pretty okay, special. Okay, good. Because, <laughs> so, yeah, he, I, he, he talked about it with a lot of reverence. Okay, I would, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and get started. How in the hell did you end up from, from Canada to Hollywood? And what was, let's start with there and let's go through what movies did you love as a child? Ah, all right. Uh, Survivors, of course. Yeah, Survivors. I didn't really love that. Uh, I guess, um, you know, it's funny, the movies I loved as a child, a lot of them were sort of forbidden fruit, things you weren't allowed to watch. Um, I remember becoming obsessed with movies like, you know, Land of Time Forgot, the Doug McClure movie. Yeah. Uh, because I wasn't allowed to see it because I was told it would be too scary. Um, not quite the case. Um, no. Uh, I don't think Bron Doug McClure was in yeah. anything that was scary intentionally. Yeah. Charles Bronson in Humanoids of the Deep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Charles Bronson in, you know, uh, Break Heart Pass, I remember being a big influence, that your great Jerry Goldsmith score. Yeah. Uh, but then things like, you know, the things that really stuck with me movie-wise are things like, you know, the Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, uh, the oh, original the Joe Sargent movie with yes. Robert Shaw and Walter Matthau, speaking of Walter Matthau, um, which I'm still a massive fan of. Jaws, um, and, you know, an incredible uh, film. Uh, Star Wars uh, was where you learned that, oh my God, there's an actual job making movies. How do I get that? Uh, uh, you know, seeing that uh, when I was 13, uh, you know, after the last day of school, my mom took me uh, to see Star Wars. What is this movie? Um, and just being like, <gasps> this is the best thing ever. Um, you know, having read the Starlog magazine ahead of time, number seven, I think, where it was on the cover. Um, yeah, so those, those kind of films, Close Encounters, obviously, you know, you started going down all the thing, uh, you know, all those movies ticking up, uh, Poltergeist, uh, Raiders of Lost Ark, and, and uh, you know, the, those films you became very obsessive over, which people are still obsessive over now. Yeah, but uh, your family wasn't in the business, right? No, no, not at all. But my, my father, you know, uh, he had a job from the time he was 10. He had a paper route delivering hundreds of papers every day. 
Um, he ended up, you know, becoming a bank teller and working at a bank for uh, a lot of years back when, before they were totally evil. And, uh, um, now he says all those bankers should be jailed. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah. Um, but he always wanted to be a DJ. Uh-huh. Um, and his, his, uh, parents wouldn't allow him to do that. And, uh, cause he had to work, he had to. So when I wanted to get in the film industry, he was incredibly supportive um, and would be very much, you know, I, I, uh, if that's what you want to do, then just do it with all you have. Um, if you want it bad enough, you'll get it. Uh, and that was incredibly supportive. My, you know, I come from a family of, other than him, my mom was a teacher, my brother's a teacher, my sister's a teacher, uh, both of them retired now. Um, and I was not. <laughs> um, uh, but a lot of it, uh, you know, also my fascination with movies and horror movies in particular started with my sister. You know, she gave me my first copy of, uh, of a Stephen King book, which was Salem's Lot when I was oh. a teenager. And, uh, and, uh, she would, um, uh, tell me the movies that she would go see. She's like eight years older than me. So, so she was, and then the next morning I would sit in her room and she would tell me the beat for beat, the story of the exorcist. And I was, oh my God, what is this magical thing? And I remember her doing that with Parallax View and being so, what do you mean he dies at the end? There's okay, so I just watched I, that a few months ago. Yeah. I'd never seen movie. it. I'd oh. never seen it. I caught it on TCM. Somehow yeah. or another, I'd never seen it. Sorry, you were saying it's the Exorcist. Great, yeah, so though, but she sort of introduced me to a lot of that, uh, those stories that became iconic. Yeah, hey, I have one of those that Gary Tunnicliffe made me. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because he did he 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 did the effects on um, on uh, the yes on the Rennie Harlan version. Yeah. Well, and he did the effects on your last movie too, right? Oh, Gary's done. I've worked with Gary since Dracula 2000. Well, the owners oh, wow. of a con actually sent this to me for my birthday the other day, and it was, oh, nice. You know, which, it was nice, but I I was looking, and my wife was like, "You're gonna bring that into the house?" Zuzu, <laughs> of course. I know. It's like right. a fertility de demon. God, whatever. <laughs> now I got the one. We're good. <laughs> you We're say good. that now. Uh, <laughs> a lot I, of home time. I am, yeah, I know. But he's a toddler and I'm 42 and we're good. So yeah. Uh, anyway, you were saying. But so I got, I got to ask with your, with, your, with your sister telling you frame by frame what happened in The Exorcist, how did that impact you when you actually first saw it for the first time? That's a good, yeah. Well, you know, it's like it already had a running commentary of it in my head. And, it, it, you know, I, I, I love that film. I still, you know, I remember I didn't see it till I was like 18 or 19. That's about um, time when I saw it. Yeah. And with that bushy like, beard bastard. Oh, oh. <laughs> really? I was the first one to show it to you. Yeah. My parents, I'm sorry, Patrick. My parents went no. to the when I was 11. And uh, the next year, my mom showed it to me. I was been 12. Wow. Probably explains a lot. She was going through a lot too. She yeah. That was well, I get that. You know, it's the it's about a family in crisis. It sure is. <laughs> you know, and it makes whatever crisis you're going in seem a little less. <laughs> I don't. I don't think my 11, 12 year old brain quite grabs that. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, looking back now, you can appreciate it all the more for right. for that 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 gentle gift your mother gave you. I, I do want to say the scarier parts now as an older man are the oh. hospital scenes which bothered a lot of people when i was oh. a child didn't scare me now 
probably scares no, me. It, yeah, though it's it's a horror movie from frame one, and it's it's the greatest example of a beautiful slow burn. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. It is an hour before shit starts getting really crazy, and yes. and in that hour, you're just so uncomfortable, and and it's making the world utterly real. Um, you know, it's making you believe it the way the character believes it. It's it's a real great example of storytelling. Of course, you know, what do they shoot? 200, 212 days. Uh, now you're lucky to get 20. Yeah. Uh, uh, and they and they shot in Iraq, <laughs> you know, which is uh, amazing. For uh, a month, correct? Yeah, I think so. And they, for, for in the frozen, I think on the frozen set, the refrigerated set, I think they shot in that for something like 60 days. Yeah, I read his autobiography a couple of, uh, last year or the year before, and it was fascinating. Yeah, I would bet. I would bet. Yeah, I if you get that. a chance, because you forget there was a couple of turkeys before the French connection. Oh, uh, yeah, and then a few after The Exorcist, although Sorcerer I love. Sorcerer uh, is an amazing film that I didn't discover until I was in my 30s because it's hard to discover. Yeah, to there's find. a great Blu-ray version of it out now. Yeah, that's what yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. That um, is where madness and filmmaking meet. Yeah, and, and you know, I had a wonderful chance, you know, in 2001 to work with Roy Scheider for a day and uh, have dinner with him afterwards and talk to him about that and all that jazz. He's not a big didn't discuss Jaws a lot, but certainly that film and and uh, and all that jazz. Uh, he was much more interested in. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fantastic. Well, I'd imagine if you've been asked about Jaws for every day of your life. Yeah, I yeah. would have brought up Romeo is bleeding. I didn't bring that up. Yeah, no, it was you know uh, dinner wasn't very long. He was flying out the next morning yeah. from Romania. Yeah. Another another really good film is Fifty Two Pickup with him. Fifty Two Pickup's great. John Frankenheimer, yeah. The Fourth War. If you've ever seen that Frankenheimer film. Mm. Oh no, I haven't. I need to. You should check it out. It is it is um, a, a end of the Cold War movie. And it's uh, uh, basically along the border. Uh, Roy Scheider and Jurgen Prochnow as this uh, Russian, his Russian counterpart as these two uh-huh. old Cold Warriors who have no purpose anymore. Yeah. Start a fight. Oh. And it, it, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's a, a very simple. It's 90 minutes. Frankenheimer again. You know, same director did 52 Pickup. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar weird. with Frankenheimer. Well, there's a, there's yeah. several people that say 52 Pickup is like one of three or four films that uh, Joachim Golan and Globus made out of, uh, that made the whole time that are good movies out of. Uh, well, I have to confess my favorite of their movies is Life Force. So, <laughs> I picked up the extended Blu-ray, <laughs> the new one. Of course, well, of I course. Did. I was, I was really hoping you were going to say Firewalker. Now I'm just disappointed. <laughs> oh, it's not Firewalker. It's not even Runaway Train. But, uh, well, that's the other but one. But Life Force, Life Force is inspired. Oh, yes. <laughs> in it's in every way. Have you ever read the book by Colin Wilson, The Space Vampire? No, I haven't, but I've never read it. I've read others of his. Uh, okay, so I, I tried that. reading it and got bored halfway through it. There, there was a yeah. broken chair over here. It's gone now that that book kept up for many many years and i never finished it. so so it served a purpose yeah i never, <laughs> never got to meet toby but um that i met him i met him at wes's at wes's memorial oh did you yeah and i remember telling him how much i liked life force oh thank you he was very very appreciative of that because you know life force 
Well, the three movies that they say that are good, and we need to get back to your career, but I'm having a good time talking to you about movies. I hope you're enjoying this too. Oh, absolutely. Are, sure. are, is is um, 52 Pickup, um, a, hold on, hold on, what was the other one? Runaway Train and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah. Is yeah, that I don't know if made that were the three good canon films? And Life Force. Okay. Yeah, they don't usually bring up Life Force. So no Firewalker, no Cobra? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's okay. So let's get back. So it takes balls of steel. How did you do? Did you go to film school? There's, there's a couple. Um, you know, I tried to get into the Simon Fraser uh, University Film School, uh, which is in Vancouver, and uh, uh, tried twice. And they told me my interests were too commercial. That I, I uh, that uh, basically uh, at the time, so this was in uh, '82 and '83 that they were looking for uh, people who wanted to make experimental films or, you know, great Canadian documentaries. Um, and you had to write an essay on, on, on a film that inspired you. So the first time I applied, I wrote my essay on Blade Runner. The second time I wrote it on The Thing, on Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> Either time did I get in. Um, well, let me, but you had a good time the summer of 82, didn't you? I have, 82 was amazing. It's kind of uh, crazy that in 82, 83, a, a, a film school was wanting to go in the art direction. Well, this was before Vancouver really had the big film boom there, oh, right? Yeah. So where people were, it was a skill. So that's the, so I ended up going to what was then called Capilano College, which had what, what they called a media resources program. Uh, they now have a big film program that now our university um, and they they put a lot of their students into the into the film community in Vancouver, and, and they're, they're very aggressive in commercial filmmaking. Uh, they teach there, um, and Cap was Capilano was great because uh, the media resources was basically designed to to teach you how to work in an AV department at like a college or university, but what they had was equipment. So me and uh, several of the other people in there, we started using the equipment for anything we could do. We shot industrials, we shot, you know, it's just jobs on the side, anything, you know, if somebody had 150 bucks, you know, it's enough to pay for a three quarter inch tape or, or film or whatever, then we would go off and, and shoot whatever, kids circus, reading videos, didn't matter what it was. Um, and, uh, and then that was, became the advent of electronic editing. So once I finished that, um, there was a show uh, uh, happening in town called uh, Hamilton's Quest, which is a little Vancouver show. And those editors, I started volunteering on that. I would go in in the morning at 6 a.m. to help them load dailies on something called a Montage One, which was 17 uh, Betamax decks queued together. And you would take a, a half hour program divided into two parts and you would save it on Bernoulli's, which are these huge drives. Uh, and you'd have three Bernoulli's per part and the tapes would shuttle and queue up to be able to play a segment. Um, it was a strange thing, but I you know, learned how to use that. And then they went on to The Hitchhiker, which was the, one of the first original HBO shows, which is basically Yuppies Run Amok. Yeah, um, right. You know, and, uh, but they had directors like you know, Philip Noyce and Carl Schenkel and, and Colin Buxy and, and all sorts of different people and, and all sorts of, you know, uh, Bill Paxton and Bud Court were in one of the ones that I worked on um, uh, where they both played. Uh, one was a guy who, who, who poisoned milk 
uh, and the other was a was a guy who killed the convenience store clerks, and they and they basically start yeah they kill each other at the end. It was quite fun. Uh, but uh, from that, then it led to was assistant editor on Twenty One Jump Street, the original at the beginning of the Fox Network. I remember right. seeing the dailies of Jeff Yeager in the Johnny Depp part before they fired him and replaced him with Johnny Depp because they shot for like 10 days. Oh, really? Uh, I don't know that I knew that. I didn't yeah, know that Jeff Yeager in, in that part. Uh, and, you know, even the old Frederick Forrest was the police captain for, for before Stephen Williams replaced him after uh -huh. episode five because they found Mr. Forrest to be challenged. Um, and, <laughs> um, and then from that, you know, did a few other things and, and then got to be an assistant editor on, on MacGyver and yep, then, and then from MacGyver, uh, moved up to editing on MacGyver, started editing when I was 24, uh, uh, two days after my son was born. Okay. Uh, and, uh, cut MacGyver for three years and that ended and then that gave me a chance to work on a little pilot for Philip Noyce called, um, uh, uh, Nightmare Cafe, which Wes Craven wrote and uh, produced, and uh, Wes was doing people people under the stairs. At the time the pilot was shot, so he didn't direct the pilot. Uh -huh. So uh, we came back to do five episodes, and I cut Wes's episode, and he and I got along great. And then he asked me to cut his next feature, which was Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Two years uh -huh. later, we stayed in touch, and then I moved to California. Wes helped sponsor my family to move down. We moved down to California and, and cut Wes Craven's New Nightmare and, uh, and then- The rest is history? Yeah, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn and, and then ultimately Scream and all sorts of things. So Chad, I'm sure you've got several. So you have a similar background to us. The only difference is, is the career. So there wasn't a film department <laughs> in Eastern Kentucky. Well, yeah. You know, I, I gotta tell this story because it's kind of funny. Um, when we, the college we went to, when they were teaching us editing, mm -hmm. um, it was tape to tape, strictly reel to reel. Um, and the example that they showed us on how to edit was old MacGyver footage. <laughs> we don't know how the man, we, I don't know how our instructor got it, but wow. it, it was MacGyver running through a forest, talking to an Indian, using, using language, like hand language to talk to him. I, I think it was like, uh, smoke walker and then he, he he had all this raw footage of macgyver and we had to edit the sequence on how we thought it would be so oh wow that's fantastic <laughs> don't remember that you don't remember that at all that was really? a deal? Um, there was a it, it was a it was a creek more class sorry you have no sorry worries. sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> no that's fantastic some, hey yeah, I, I, some of these people I, are dead now so yeah and, and, and because i'm a, <laughs> and, and because i'm a huge tv and, and movie nerd i actually um, after class, because I, you know, my teacher would let me hang out after class. I would actually go and find all the MacGyver because he had a stockpile of this raw MacGyver footage, and I was fascinated. And I would actually just watch the raw cuts of just take after take after take. Where would he oh, have that's fantastic! It, Where would he have gone? Um, I know a lot of the dailies were donated because we had because we were cutting on the montages. You uh -huh. had to load them all into off a three quarter, so you had. We, yeah. there was and that's what we had was three quarter stacks and stacks at three quarters. Uh, I remember donating all the ones from Jump Street to uh, to Capilano uh, College during my time there, uh, and so MacGyver would have been donated in a similar fashion. 
Okay. And then somehow it, man it managed to be in an Eastern Kentucky college. <laughs> well, things travel. Somebody might have traded it for something. <laughs> and it's a small world, like we were talking about, Todd, yeah. going through, you know, yeah. you know, four, then you meet five. And yeah, so somebody out of there knew somebody and then got it donated back. That's fascinating. Oh, that's great. But we have an interest. We have the same background. There wasn't really film there, but there we had access to a little bit of equipment and we did things on the side. You're almost the same story. Yeah, because it was, uh, uh, you, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, uh, not to go into too much personal detail with, with me because we want to hear about you. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, when I went to college, I had two options. Um, I could go to a university that actually had a movie that got released um, and John Carpenter went there for a brief period. Um, but it was two years before you ever touched equipment. Oh, or I could go yeah. to this small little college in Eastern Kentucky where I could automatically get into the program and start messing with equipment right away. So, well, that's great. Yeah, I, I, that's, I just couldn't, I yeah. couldn't justify cause I'd already spent four years messing with video equipment and editing, which is yeah. my passion. Anyway, I love editing. So um, Chad, yeah. out of the two of us, I would rather shoot and he would rather edit. I'm a huge editor. I love editing. You yeah, me too. I, I, it was my first love editing and I, I still love doing it. And, and, uh, movies are, and movies are made in the cutting room. Uh, yes, they can be made uh, or destroyed or saved in the cutting room. Yes, yeah. all those things can happen. All movies are made in the cutting room. I know yeah. there's many, many, many different layers. I mean, if the script sucks, if the shooting sucks, I understand. But movies yeah. are made in the cutting. I, I worked for a producer years ago who, who said, you know, a, a great DP can make your movie look beautiful and an editor can save your picture. Right. So. And I got I to gotta ask, just because you're an editor, have you ever edited any of the, out of the 30 movies you've edited? Have, or one you haven't, but TV too. Have you ever seen a trailer for your movie? And they used all of your best cuts. <laughs> and you're like, you've ruined the whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. With 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 rage. Yeah. 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 No, it it's uh, certainly I, I remember the trailer for Drive Angry um calling up the head of marketing at Summit and and just protesting and it's like you 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 make the you know the character dumb that she hasn't figured it out because you told everybody everything and and they were like you know I think we know a thing or two about marketing and you don't know anything. <laughs> uh, I might have said uh, if it wasn't for the Twilight movies, uh, nothing you've marketed could be successful has been successful. <laughs> Um, and even the Hurt Locker, what it wasn't a big money. Anyway, I said a lot of things I probably should know. So just said. No, yeah, um, that, needless to say, uh, yeah. That's uh, one. Of, that's one of my biggest kicks about going to of seeing a trailer and then going to a movie and realizing they put every single good cut into oh. the trailer, and I'm like, I know that's driving the editor crazy. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a thing <laughs> where you're just so like you know that that was that that was some of the nice things about the screen movies as they went. The the trailers were very careful about mm -hmm. not revealing, you know, the reveals for the movie, and and uh, I, 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 that was a big thing on because of that on Valentine. Uh, you know, the first still they released on Valentine was Jensen in the miner's outfit underneath like a fan or something covered in blood. And I just thought, what? You can't release that still. And <laughs> and and I was. They sent me that on an email chain, 
um, which had every executive and everybody on it. And I responded with like huge panic and, uh, and then suddenly it was a very small chain, but they, they were actually really good about it. Once they realized that marketing just didn't know, they had no idea. Right. And I said, and then I was just like, you guys need to see the movie. Let's watch the movie right away. And they set up, they came in and watched the film and suddenly they were like, okay, we get your concern. Let's make an adjustment. We'll make sure that's not an issue. And luckily it wasn't, but it was, the the panic when I first saw that was immense. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, they were they were they. Lionsgate was great. Uh, I I you know back then I I haven't worked for them for since that, but they were wonderful to work with at the time. So why was there not a sequel? I know Valentine several times because it was a it was a number one hit. It was a huge movie. It made well, once again. Uh, was it there made over a hundred million worldwide. It made them a fortune. It helped keep them uh, alive when uh, Carl Icahn was trying to buy them. Yep. And um, they had said if the movie hadn't performed over the weekend, that the Lionsgate wouldn't exist the next week. Yep. Wow. Um, but you know what happened was there was a. We were very lucky. We got to make it at all. Uh, our big champion there was Mike Pasternak. Uh, who also was an executive on the original. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the reason they took the eye from Paramount when that was being, you know, sort of a problematic film uh, was because he wanted to get Valentine. Uh -huh. um, and then there was a management shift. Um, they wanted to get in, you know, they made movies like uh, Killers with uh, Ashton Kutcher, you know, which was a very expensive sort of thing. And then next three days with Russell Crowe, which was sort of a big expensive thing. And it wasn't until they really found their footing again with Hunger Games um, uh, that they sort of came back out of that little slump that they went into. Um, but Valentine, uh, we were told, what was one of the descriptions somebody said this is like a a blunt blow to the face why would we make this this is one of the new uh people in charge um and so this is when we we're trying to make the original and mike was so savvy uh with how he did it you see he he i came in one day we were worried about doing it, it was during the writer strike in 2007 Mm -hmm. um uh and he was like i need you to and they had signed on first they had made a deal first so we could actually start doing uh revision on script um so they were he was like i need you to meet uh a dog uh and then i need you to cast selena luna who is uh, a little person in a vaudeville a burlesque actress mm -hmm. right uh in the movie and i was just like sure can we kill her and they was like sure um uh, now come meet the dog and the dog needs to like you and i was just like okay and so went down and and met lewis the dog that she has in the movie who belonged to one of the heads of marketing oh and, and the other head of marketing um was a huge fan of Selena's. um and so because we put them in the film marketing got completely behind the project and that because marketing went to the heads of the of lionsgate and said we can sell this film um and if we if, you know because because of those two people that scene in the in the motel where you see them coming out the 3d shot of the dog coming up and selling a running up in her little cowboy boots afterwards that if it was not for that scene that movie wouldn't exist 
that is an amazing story. Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, yeah. So, so they even after all the money, though, I just don't understand. You would think it's after a, all the money, they just uh, you know we we wrote Todd and I wrote a whole scriptment for a sequel. Um, we had it all sort of laid out. Um, all the actors, Jensen and Kerr and Jamie and Eddie Gathegi, were all willing to come back. We had good roles for all of them in it. Uh, and uh, Mike kept going back to them saying, hey, we should make this, now's the time. And every year they're like, no, no, no. And, and, and you know, it's, it's been over 12 years now. So, and you obviously uh, know the business more than me, and I, and I, I didn't mean to harp. That may, not, that may not be true, but yeah. Well, no, you do. But it's one of those where movies who make half as much money, are the sequel is greenlit the next weekend. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Half as oh yeah. It 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 didn't make any sense to to us, especially given the fact that, you know, uh, the cast, uh, Jensen in particular, right? Jensen, you know, it, it, he they're finally finishing Supernatural. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, he wanted to come back. He wanted to do it, and and it's just like even if we only had him, um, but. All of them wanted to be part of it, and and it wouldn't have cost a lot more money. We, you know, we had a whole plan for it, and um, a fun little story, and a fun fun way to still keep the minor in it, and 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 uh, Tom, you know, Jensen's character in it. Uh, yeah. But uh, they uh, weren't buying it. I've heard rumors that they're they're planning to reboot it and hiring other people or something like that. But I don't right. I don't know if that's true either. Uh, but I've heard that. Right. Yeah, because I will give you one other compliment. Uh, out of the two boys from that one little show that you're talking about, Jensen made the good movie. Yes. Yes, I I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I did see both movies, obviously. I saw yes. that, Jensen's and uh, um, we just had a lot of fun with it and i mean it was brutally hard that film because you know shooting because we shot native 3d we'd never done it before um the camera rigs were built the day before we started shooting almost every day of photography they were saying wow this has never been done before um you know you were shooting a movie with a camera that was the size of a refrigerator yeah. Um, so you weren't very mo mobile you could maybe average 17 setups a day maybe um, so it was a lot of long hours and we had a hard out on Jensen. Jensen had to be finished and back in Vancouver for Supernatural on a certain date and any day late would cost our production $200,000. Wow. So we had to shoot six day weeks. We had to shoot like, you know, 15, 16, 17 hour days. It was, it was, uh, an ex I remember finishing that show in like tears and being delirious, like not, like I had hallucinated for a week and a half afterwards because I, I couldn't tell I I would try to sleep and people were like putting up lights inside the room I was sleeping in I was always in the way it was a, it was a very strange experience but I wouldn't have traded it for anything it was it was a great it was uh, it was I look back on it with great fondness you you answered one half of my question but I'm going to ask I'm going to ask this first okay. half of this when you when you originally got on for 
my bloody Valentine. Was it always intention to be 3D? Was your was that always your intention to make it 3D, or did that come later? Uh, what, what happened was it, it started with hey, um, I was showing it because I recut and you know uh, wrote uh, 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 and directed 40 pages of reshoots for the eye, the Jessica Alba film, right? Because uh, it was fairly problematic um, <laughs> oh that's um, a better story for that you, yeah um you talk more about that yeah well yeah uh but one of the days i came in to show the cut there peter block and and uh and mike it was the day they closed the rights for valentine oh wow okay. and they and they were like hey do you want to direct my bloody valentine i was like absolutely i totally do uh and i i had seen it years ago but the cut version uh you know the version i've been that had been censored that yeah. cut um but it was a canadian one of the canadian tax shelter slasher movies so yep. I, I i knew it well and uh uh and then probably about two or three weeks after that they were like hey do you want to do it in 3d i was like absolutely i know nothing about 3d but i'll learn and uh and uh you know we shot some 3d tests we met with all the different 3d companies um we heard about this strange movie called avatar that had was shooting and was still shooting and was plagued by nothing but problems uh, with uh, right. their 3D. Um, and we decided that wouldn't be us. Um, and it wasn't, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we managed to uh, do what we thought we would do and what we set out to do um, in a pretty timely fashion. But, that, but that's how the 3D happened because I didn't realize at the time, but Mike was battling the studio and just making the movie at all. So the 3D and then the dog and the, and and Selena Luna uh, were all part of what got us to make the film. Right. Uh, you know that that trifecta is how uh, marketing was going to uh, sell the film. Well, so as an editor and being trained as an editor before you direct, yeah. How much more efficient does that make you as a director, knowing where you need to go get the shot, and how much I'm sure that. And we we didn't talk about Dracula two thousand. We've not talked about some other films too. You directed many things before this, right? But we're yeah. just on this movie particular. How efficient it, it was invaluable because you 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 know no part of the animal is wasted. Right, you, right. You, everything you get you have to use. Um, that was even more so for Drive Angry uh, than than Valentine. Um, but we you know you just there was no time to second guess things that's the biggest thing that editing allows you to do it's just like this is the coverage we need this is and once you work out the blocking you can very quickly see the pieces that you need to put it together right, right. Um, so um and it's always you know every time i direct it it's always um on any given day because you get less and less days to shoot anything you have to think okay what's the minimum i need to get to walk away with this you know to have something that tells the story that's malleable afterwards. Right. Uh, and then how in each moment can I enhance that? Uh, you know, cause you're, every day's, uh, you're playing beat the clock. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that becomes the combination. And being from editing allows you to play beat the clock better. Yeah. That's really what it does. Sorry, Chad, I thought you were gonna ask something. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, why was it why was it even more valuable in Drive Angry? Well, Drive Angry was it, it's interesting. The you know Drive Angry we had 
uh, five more days of shooting than we had on Valentine. Um, but our daily time restrictions were worse. Uh, we could only shoot, we, we, we had what you call 12 hours portal to portal for the crew, uh, for everybody. So uh, uh, Nick was great, Nick Cage was great because he would, you know, he would come in early, he would stay late, he didn't, he was just, he loved the film and he was on board. So whatever we needed. But because we were a road picture shooting in Shreveport, most of the stuff we were shooting out of town. Yeah. So we, so if it takes you an hour, hour and a half to get there, right? So that, so you've just lost three hours from your shooting day. Right. So, and then, so 12 hours portal, portal meant that we were lucky to get nine hours of shooting a day. Yeah. So hour per hour, Drive Angry versus versus uh, Valentine, we had 10 less hours of shooting uh, or whatever uh, on Drive Angry for what was uh, a bigger film uh, in scope and scale. And, and uh, so er everything had to be planned down to what we were doing and then, and how we were gonna make that work. And, uh, and then the other thing that we had on that is we had 17 days of a second unit to help us with the car stuff that Johnny Martin directed. Um, but we only have one set of lenses between the two units. And it takes a certain amount of time to change the 3D lenses. And you have to have, like, because you're shooting native 3D, you need a pair of lenses that are exactly the same. Right. So they have to be calibrated the same, they have to be put on the cameras and registered correctly. Um, so the lenses that you were shooting on any given camera that day are the lenses you're shooting with for that day. Right. Um, so we had to plan what they were shooting and what we were shooting and how we could swap cameras between the two units. Um, so it was a real navigation to of limited resources to maximize uh, our output, what we were getting. So that was the real, the real reason for that. I, I have no background as an editor. I am the exception <laughs> to that rule. I, I did have a question though, because you've written and directed your your yes. what you've written. What is that process like? Does do things change as you as you try to make the film from the director viewpoint? Do you have to kind of store the writer mentality? Oh, yeah, that's a good just... point because those are three different hats. And if you wrote it, you directed it, and you edited it, which you've done with several movies. Yeah, a, I, what happens as a writer as you the different hats that you have to put on because they're three different disciplines. Yeah, I you know I've done a lot of writing with Todd, so Todd occasionally uh, uh, gets frustrated with me because I my goal is always to any scene that feels like it might need explanation later, because um, he'll like well we can just cut it, cut that out, we can trim that down, we may not need that. It's just like fix it I'd in rather, post. I well, and my philosophy is always I'd rather see them say it. I'd rather have shot them saying it. I'd rather shoot a, pay, a scene that was three pages longer to have more of the dialogue on camera than less of it and want it later and have to do it with ADR. Yep. So that, um, that becomes the hazard of the writing is, a, is he would cut stuff, which were good cuts, and I'd be like, oh, no, 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 we have to put that back. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. We might want to, we might want to see them say it. And, and then there would be also little directorial things where you're like, we should leave that in there. We need to shoot this. And it's just like, well, what that would be there? What would that be for? And it's like, I don't know. Editorially later, I think we might want that. I'm not sure. And we'll figure it out, but we should get that because that might be some sort of glue that's, that's, that's important. So that's, you know, 
that that's um, the it's really the editorial brain drives everything because that's the one that has to that has to pick up the pieces at the end right so every thought in the writing process and the directing process is all about the editing right i said ask that question because i know some people that are writers that have their work adapted uh some come back later and say i don't know why they didn't just use what i put on the page so i just wanted to ask as somebody that's done all of it from from start to finish yeah what that I, looks like. I i never feel that so much as a when i've directed the things that i've written the things i've written that have been directed by others i totally feel that <laughs> terminator I absolutely feel that oh my god you fuckers what did you do that for we'll get to terminator in a second <laughs> uh, oh hang on one second i'm just gonna turn on a light just because the the light is fading legs i mean you're not my type but any left oh i just want to kill back out there here I'm back. Hey, we, we just hey we we were sitting here we're we're straight yeah. but we were enjoying the show of your legs. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> so back to, and then this is going to sound disrespectful. I don't mean if well I shouldn't say no disrespectful, no. But Chris Alexander is an also fellow Canadian. He uh, edited Fango uh, after Tony mm. Tempone for many many years. And Fantastic. We've had well that's okay. We've had several different people on the show, and we always when we and have Fango's right there. With, who's worked with Nick Cage? We always say, "What's your best batshit Nick Cage story?" And his is the best. So, if you don't mind, what's your? And by the way, our friend James here. We all love Nick, but James. I was going to say you've actually worked with my triumvirate of people that I would love to see just thrown into a film together. Uh, oh, who? With Cursed, Cursed. You had Christina Ricci, right? Um, who was my uh, growing up? She's about my same age, and. I, fo I followed her career with interest. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, Christopher Walken. Yep. Um, oh, Prophecy, yeah. and, and Nick Cage. And I, that's, that's, I, so. Uh, I, that's I, a trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love. Like, and I, I actually appreciate it. I was, I was telling somebody the other day, I think Drive Angry, now Nick Cage is doing more horror films, Mandy yeah. and Mom and Dad. And I'm like, but you've got to go back and watch Drive Angry so you, I'm not it's it, this great progression as he eases into horror from you know working with Sharon stuff. Uh, yeah, well, it, Nick, I remember the day we were shooting uh, the opening uh, where he shoots off the guy's hand. Yeah, right. And Nick and I said, you know, and then his hand blows off. We had this rig that Gary Tuncliffe had made that actually fired air, and the hand blew off uh, of this uh, of of the of the stunt guy. And, and Nick was just like, doing to me. Uh, I, I may never get to do a family movie again. It's just like, dude, this isn't Family Man 2. You knew it when you signed off. <laughs> um, but I, I, I found Nick to be fantastic. He, he, was, he was always very uh, on top of the character. Probably the, the craziest bit was, was him in pre-production wanting to shave his head and tattoo really tattoo uh smoke and flames all across his skull um and 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 telling the producers that and they were like you have to talk about it we, we can't do that and and tell them it's too late bam bam bigelow already did it well this was back in <laughs> 2010 so uh, so but but you know and nick was 
he didn't care that the producers didn't want that. He didn't really care about the bond company. But the thing that made him decide not to do it when we were talking about it was because um, because the producers were all afraid to talk to him. So, so no, you have to talk to him. I'm, we're not talking to him. <laughs> um, and 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 Nick's told this story on 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 uh, the Tonight Show or something like that. So he won't mind that I'm telling it. But the thing that got him to to back off of it was I just said, if you look like that on the side of the road, Piper, which is Amber Heard's character, she does not let you in the car. Oh, yeah. And this... and that was the thing he said, oh, you're right. Okay, no, I won't do it. By the way, it's fascinating to me that he was worried about not doing any family films after that picture. <laughs> but he also went, you know what I need to do is it was Oh, yes. Head. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we all have a duality. Yeah. Well, no, and and, and yeah. I love, uh, and that's what I always tell people is I love uh, every Nick Cage film I've ever seen because I'm like I am going to have an experience. And, yeah, yeah. And any film that I watch with him, actually, one of my favorite, um, the Scorsese film he did, uh, Bring Out the Dead. Bring Out the Dead. Yes. I, uh, I I I saw that movie once. I used to have a job where I was on call and responded to emergencies and stuff, and I. I was on call when I watched it. I was allowed to, you know, I had to answer the phone if it rang or something, but I had actually been on for a few days and, and that movie just immediately synced with me. And I later on, I went, I bought a copy. I have DVD shelves over here. And uh, the I was checking out and the guy was like, are you sure you want this movie? And I'm like, I love this movie. And he goes, you're the one. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I'm the other anyway, one because so I, I bought the copy the next day too. I uh, I do uh, so I wanted to ask about uh, Nick Cage and 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 also I did want to see um, what is Christopher Walken like <laughs> working Chris, with? Chris oh my is, God, that's the the most cliche question ever. No, I, no, but, yeah, what's, Chris what's is it? great. Is Christopher, you know? is Christopher Walken just smell nice? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard he smells like apples. Is that true? <laughs> I can actually answer that question, but I'm not going to. <laughs> oh, man. Really? Oh, dude. There goes uh, our exclusive. Uh, we're always know. looking for an exclusive. You know, we're huge Christopher Walken fans. Oh, I, I, Chris is, he's wonderful and, and very, you know, I found him to be very kind and, and, and smart and, and experimental. You know, he's definitely, you know, uh, uh, comes out of the 70s and, and uh, uh, he would have, you know, we would rehearse and stuff like that. And it was the first film I'd ever directed. So Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's, yeah, a big, oh. that's a big thing going, your first movie ever directed. And yeah, it's and he's an Academy Award. Right. And, it, and he was doing Sleepy Hollow. He had just finished, or it's just going off wow. to do Sleepy wow. Hollow. Yeah. Um, at the time. So he had done his head cast and he had told them they, they had to build him a mechanical horse because after Heaven's Gate, he said he would never go on a horse again. <laughs> um, uh, although apparently he's a very good, a very good rider, but he, he, he wouldn't do that. Um, and uh, he was very, he had a lot of fun with the, you know, as he called them his angel movies. And, uh, uh, but he would do things where he would like, okay, maybe in this version of the scene we're rehearsing, and it was a very sort of, uh, you know, uh, newly uh, inexperienced actress who was lovely. And she was, she was, uh, and he was like, I'm going to do it where I don't say anything. And so she would say her line and he wouldn't say anything. He would just be like, and, and, and then she would, and we were outside. It was in the morning, it was freezing cold. And she, she was just like, I don't know what to do if he doesn't speak. <laughs> and, and so Chris was just like, I'll say the lines. Don't worry. 
Um, but you know, you meet Chris at the beginning and he, he has already taken all the punctuation out of the script. He rewrites all the dialogue, takes all the punctuation out. Right. And, uh, and then he just, uh, you, you know, you have like a two hour tea with Christopher Walken. That's how you, that's, that's how you start the process. So that sounds both amazing and terrifying. Well, we were in a, we ended up being in a room was in the afternoon. So nobody else was in this sort of lounge, but some guy came in in the back of the lounge and started playing the piano. And Chris turned and looked at him and said, I'm going to go smash that guy's head in the keyboard. He's just playing because he wants me to hear him. And it's just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash his fingers in that keyboard. <laughs> and uh, I can't do a good Christopher Walken, unfortunately. Years ago, I could sort of do it, but that's, it's faded. Um, but he, uh, ultimately, he did not. Uh, but he laughed when he said it, uh, which might have been scarier. Um, yeah. But yeah. Chris is great. You know, we, we offered the role of Van Helsing in Dracula 2000 to Chris first. Oh, um, oh really? I called, I called him up and sent him the script, and, and he was like, you know, I like this, but uh, I'm trying to be Fred McMurray. Uh, <laughs> um, he wants to do the Shaggy Dog. Yeah, and he did. And yeah, and and he did um, uh, Kangaroo Kid and stuff like that. So, oh, uh, Kangaroo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah, but but he but he well, and he also did Blast from the Past yeah. and okay. stuff like that. He wanted to do more of those kind of films at that time. I think he wanted to broaden his 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 audience base and not be considered quite so strange um but uh you know eventually the the work that calls you calls you and 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 you respond to the side yeah yeah uh, there's probably a good reason i did i I would have looked and said can we get billy wilder fred mcmurray and not shaggy dog that's that's that that's the fred mcmurray so but yeah he wanted to he wanted to be fred mcmurray um so that was you know that was a that was a a fun conversation with him but uh, but you took a good bounce from that it's not like the person who played the role didn't do a good job. Now, I don't oh, know no, no. Chris, Christopher Plummer was great. And, yeah, and Plummer Chris- was, uh, he was, he was a, a joy to work with. You know, he was 72 at the time. So uh, we were making him an action hero, running around and shooting mm-hmm. vampires and doing all sorts of things. Um, you know, he, he originally had quite a different death scene that the studio the problem, one of the challenges with Dracula 2000 was, was uh, when we were making it, we had a pretty decent script in April. Uh-huh. Um, we had an original script that was like a lean $8 million sort of, uh, uh, this was a story about thieves stealing Dracula's body from Van Helsing and selling the blood for immortality. That was the concept. Um, and then that got changed and changed and changed and changed and the thing just sort of got bloated and strange and 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 uh uh because it took so long to cast dracula we you know the script sort of got destroyed by the time we started shooting it suddenly the thieves had no idea what they were stealing or why they were stealing it uh johnny lee miller's character who was the protege vampire hunter to van helsing in the beginning the role he signed on to play suddenly was just an antique stealer his line about never fuck with an antiques dealer in that movie was Johnny's joke because the fact that his character had changed so much. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he would say it on set all the time as a joke. But it's just like, we're going to put it in the movie. Um, uh, you know, I remember the, the Weinstein saying to me at one time, you know, it's, it's, it, it's our movie. You do what we tell you. When it's your movie, you can do what you want. 
uh, and just being, you know, hanging your head every day as you went in to sort of manage this, this train trundling down the tracks. Um, well, I mean, yeah. Wes, Wes had their, Wes had his problems with them too. Oh, Wes did, uh, Del Toro did, you know, I cut Mimic for Guillermo Del Toro. That oh. was, you always know you're in trouble when you see on the call sheet day 79 of 50. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, that, that, that film was, I, I, you know, there's one scene in that film that I think has nine directors and you Mimic, can look at it yeah. shot for shot. Yeah. Uh, wow. Have you, have you ever looked at the, well, you looked at all the footage, but I have, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was about to say, have you seen the directors, but I was like, you've seen I have, yeah. footage. I didn't mean to be insulting. Yeah. But the, the cut that he cut back. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. I mean, so uh, Rodriguez directed on it. Who else? Uh, Ola Bornadol, uh, JJ authors, uh, uh, Rick Boda. Yeah. Uh, some of them I can't remember their names. There's some Canadian second unit guys. Oh wow. Um, uh, but yeah, it was. I, uh, I, I a don't. Host of people. I know you said you didn't didn't have anything you didn't want to talk about, but I don't want to get too much into built uh, piling on and talking about Harvey. But I would like to ask a little bit about working in Dimension at that time because you you worked there a lot. A Dimension, yeah, and Dimension just. To be clear, Dimension was run by Bob. Bob, right. Right. Uh, um, Harvey would show up uh, at the previews. Um, he would occasionally come into, he would come in and out of the, the meetings we'd have after the previews and wave his cigarette around and almost poke your eyes out with it. Um, he, my involvement with Harvey was very limited over the years. Probably the show where I was around him, even on, on Music of the Heart, um, I didn't have much to do with Harvey, but West had to battle Harvey on that. Yeah. You know, uh, Harvey sent his own versions of recutting music of the heart. West would just take it and throw it in the trash. Wouldn't even look at it. Um, and, uh, but, uh, we did a recut on 54 in about three weeks. Um, Harvey was, a, was around for the beginning of that three weeks. Then he left for vacation and Bob took over the finishing. Uh -huh. the film with us because we we had just come off of uh, my editing team we just came off halloween h2o um and they put us on trying to uh recut 54 three weeks before it released well, um so you know uh my experience of harvey is limited my experience of bob is is a lot more um but neither uh, one of them were overly pleasant is that to be fair i mean well I, we have heard yeah, horror, yeah. So we had heard horror stories like yeah. everyone else, and yeah. we're so far removed from the industry, but Dimension was known for some horror stories and, and some bad production. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and those, are, those are true. Uh, you know, uh, and, any of this other you know, stuff. So that's what I'm more interested. In. You know, I do. Yeah. So, much so, so you know, Harvey in his, in his you know, uh, in his crimes uh, side side that's yeah uh, you know so um as i said my experience with harvey was very limited, limited. and right uh, and, and i don't always know. just as an, as an editor uh you know with bob there was you know we had a lot more contact with bob he would you know come to the cutting rooms he would show up he would he would you know uh 
keep pushing everybody in different directions. Sometimes he, you know, uh, as to what was, what he was looking for. Um, and that would change, you know, uh, you know, Dracula 2000, one of the things I was starting to say before is because it was after the year after uh, Columbine, mm-hmm. um, suddenly we would get, and they were going through all this sort of congressional stuff on violence uh, post the, the screen movies. And, um, we, there'd be scenes that we were ready to shoot Van Helsing's death in particular in Dracula 2000, which we got the call the day beforehand, what you're planning, you have to stop. You can't do that. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You, we don't even want you to shoot it. We don't. It's so things would just, so many things in that film just got thrown out before we even got to do it. Yeah. Um, or we did it and then that got thrown out because of, because of the political climate at the time, because they were in the middle of sort of running scared. Um, but yeah, they, there was a lot of, when you deal with people who, you know, sort of like our political challenges that we're dealing right now, people who react emotionally rather than logically, yep. rather than, and then you have a tendency to, to, be like you know uh, uh, an abused spouse in the relationship. Um, I know Wes frequently felt like that. I know uh, I know uh, Guillermo certainly felt like that. Uh, but I think other people, you know, there are other times when they can be incredibly rewarding. You know, I, I have to say my opportunity to direct came from Bob. You know, he gave me that opportunity because of of you know my whole directing career came out of uh, cutting the first 13 minutes of screen. Yep. Um, you know, Wes was going to get fired when they saw those dailies. They hated those dailies. Bob hated them, called him up, said he was like a, like a journeyman TV director, said he was a hack, said, you know, Wes had never been spoken to that way. He was so mortified. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he called me up and, and just said, you know, can you cut it together? You know, do you think there's something there? I said, what are you talking about? The scene's going to be awesome. Yep. Um, you know, we cut it together, showed it to Wes. He had one music note. We conformed it on film. We sent it to New York and they called up to their credit. They, you know, Bob called them up and said, we were so wrong. Whatever you need, we'll give you. Okay. This absolutely works. So they could be, you know, Bob in dimension could be very rewarding. You know, I had, you know, Andrew Rona, Richard Potter, uh, Carrie Granite, uh, Michael Zumas, you know, different guys who worked at, you know, Matt Signer, Keith, Levine, uh, uh, Matt Stein, all these guys who worked at Dimension over the years, I'm still friends with mm-hmm. and, and have tremendous respect for it because I think they were, those guys were living a nightmare scenario on the front line. Yeah. Right. I wasn't. I wasn't in cutting room or, you know, directing or whatever, you know. I was very removed from what was clearly a, a, a challenging as an understatement to call it. So, this is a, this may be a little bit more in depth and I'm sorry if it is. Uh, so I kind of understand why you keep going back to dimension because you're looking for the opportunities. I give you an opportunity to direct and you get to do another movie and you get to do other movies, right? Why do you think Wes did it? Other than the screen movies were very successful, but I mean. Screen movies were very successful. Um, uh, for was, why cursed, why do cursed? Well, now there's an interesting story for that. Now, Wes is going to direct Pulse, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And he, they're very close to, to actually shooting Pulse. And something like eight weeks out, uh, Bob pulls the plug on Pulse. I don't want to make that. I don't want you to make that. I want you to make this script of Kevin Williamson's called Cursed. 
Wes was like, I don't want to make this movie. I made this movie. It was called Vampire in Brooklyn. I do not want to make it again. Yeah. I, uh, all, of all the challenges that were on Vampire in Brooklyn, you know, uh, Wes being dragged into Sherry Lansing's office and being told, you need to make it funny. You know, like Jack Nicholson in The Shining when he comes into the act saying, here's Johnny. It needs to be funny. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and Eddie Murphy wanted to play it Wes, straight and scary, right? Right. And Wes saying to, to you know, Wes saying to, to the head of Paramount, do you understand you're telling me you want me to make it funny like The Shining? Do you understand that? Um, they didn't. Uh, um, and so that what Kirsch was. But then what they did is they took the film he was going to make away from him. He had a whole crew looking to work that yep. suddenly all had jobs and all those jobs are gone. Right. Um, they probably doubled him the amount of money he was going to make. So they were very good at, at, at uh, 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 being the devil offering you, you know, here's, oh, yeah. here's, here's a whole bunch of carrots that we know you might like. Why don't you come have these carrots? Uh, um, and they put you in a situation where you're like, fuck, I, 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 I am responsible for so many other people that I have to do this. I feel I have to do this. Now, you enter cursed with the best of intentions, right? You think um, this is going to be okay. I'm going to come out the other side. I'm going to have... Um, so cursed was a movie that they shot for something like 54 days. I came on it at the end. I was only supposed to be on it for six weeks because I was doing another project that, that then fell apart and then came on to edit and uh, I was on Curse for 19 months. Um, and uh, they pulled the plug probably a week and a half before they finished shooting it. So they never shot the ending. Um, they shot the aftermath of the ending with Omar Epps and Robert Forster and, and uh, Scott Bio and everybody outside the Wax Museum, but they never shot the actual ending. Um, and, uh, and then we went on hiatus and started coming up with a new version of the movie. Kevin came back with a new thing. They shot for 40 some odd days. Um, and then, oh, that didn't work quite the way they wanted. And then we shot for like 17 days, the 13 days, the nine days. Um, you know, they say that movie cost $35 million. That movie cost almost a hundred million dollars. It had to have, it had to be. A yeah. And it, and it, of, of the original 54 days in the final film, there were only 12 minutes. Wow. Um, you know, so that should, that should tell you something. Um, but yeah. again, you don't, you don't go into the film thinking, well, I'm just going to sign on to this disaster. You go in thinking, okay, I'm going to make the best of this. Perhaps I can make this work. You know, Dracula 2000 had so many problems shooting wise. We were basically developing in post developing and shooting, you know, Nathan's Fillion's character we added in post-production. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so many, it was, it was such a challenge to shoot that. Um, but we had the advantage of a release date. Our title had the sell by date in, in it. Yeah. They could only fuck with us so long. We always knew it was going to end. Um, cursed. That wasn't the case. Cursed could just go on and on. That job could be a career. Um, it was, it was, a the title was appropriate the title was it never work in a movie called cursed because you you will live up to it 
you know, some of the original concepts of that film were really brilliant. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it, I mean, it drove Rick Baker out of the business for a while, right? I mean, it pretty much. Uh, yeah. Out yeah. So yeah. let me ask you a quick question. What are the, and this is probably the only podcast that's going to ask this question. Explain the economics of that to me. If you know the movie, if you don't like the movie and you're the money people, and you've wasted all this money, or at least half of that. Why keep wasting more when you know you're never going to recoup it? All right. Um, the Does answer that makes sense. That is, you know, it totally makes sense. There's okay. two. Because okay. I don't understand films. that part There's of it. There's another film that, that at Dimension that happens at the same time. Okay. Uh, and it's called Brothers Grimm. Right. Yeah. Right. Very good. Both of them very problematic. Both of them cost about the same mm -hmm. in reality, and both say they cost about the same um in fiction right um and after those two films what happens the company that is the miramax bank disney severs their ties with bob and harvey okay that relationship ends because these guys are chasing something they're chasing a level of perfection is the wrong word but they're chasing something and throwing more money after it, thinking that somehow they're going to have a Midas hand that's going uh -huh. to pull everything out of it. Um, and again, they're in the same boat, right? They keep, they, they, you know, they, they went into it with the best intentions and suddenly they are, fuck, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Everything they said at the beginning about why this wouldn't work was true. It still doesn't work. And then it, everything just keeps going. Well, maybe if we just spend this, it'll work. Maybe we spend this. So, you know, it's the death of a thousand cuts. It's not, it's not, my God, we're going to spend 60 more million dollars. That's not how it starts. It starts with, you know, each one of those shoots is budgeted. They're, they're smaller. We're going to spend $12 million. We're going to fix this. Oh, we only need another $6 million. We only need, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a leak under your house and suddenly you live in a sinkhole. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I couldn't, I just business wise, I don't understand it, you know? Yeah. After but that's, while, that's, that's, putting... that's how it happens. It's, it's nobody, nobody intended that to happen. So how much, how much better or maybe not a better is the original cut of, of, of curse to what we saw? I have them all in storage. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, it, um, it's just a little bit different. Probably the Mandy Moore, it's the Mandy Moore, Mandy Moore, which was um, uh, replaced with, I can't remember her name in the beginning. Um, uh, the, the girl in the beginning and the, at the PETA thing who dies in the parking garage. I can't remember. If that sequence mind. had been finished, um, I think, uh, I think that would have been better. You know, I think the relationship with Skeet and Christina Ritchie and Jesse Eisenberg, you know, none of them are related. There's three strangers who meet on the road. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Christina Ritchie and Jesse Eisenberg are not brother and sister. Right. Uh, John McGinley, uh, I think, is is plays Jesse Eisenberg's dad. Um, the whole wrestling thing is a much bigger deal, which is very Team Wolf. Um, um, is it better? No. Is any version? really good no not really i think it i think it was i think the it was a movie made for all the wrong reasons um 
and everybody was trying to make make it work for but nobody nobody knew what they wanted and and when anybody came forward with a vision it wasn't enough you know they they, yeah it it was unfortunate in in that in that way because it was such a great expense yeah um but you know it it uh yeah is what it is i guess i don't know what else to say about it (laughs) no 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 no, no, sorry uh, hold on Honestly, we, we but, just caught him on a statement. He says he has all these cuts in storage. So are you why we don't have Nightmare Cafe on Blu-ray yet? <laughs> no, no, no. You gotta, you gotta I will to, find you, sir. You gotta talk to MGM and NBC uh, for, for Nightmare Cafe. Nightmare uh, Cafe is one of those examples. James and I were talking about this when we were younger, before there was every streaming, every show, anything you can imagine for any niche market, right? Niche market. Yeah. Um, Nightmare Cafe was one of those shows that's, oh, God, I love it. It won't last past episode six. Right. And it didn't. I, I do have the four episodes I worked on on three-quarter inch. <laughs> so, Good luck. And the, 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 fin- the final version. But, but yeah, finding a, an old three-quarter inch player, I have no idea where you're going to get that. But, well, yeah. Oh, we, we, we went to a university that probably still oh my god them. you must have one there'll be one in the back in the back one of those ten thousand dollar machines yeah that you, can, you could buy for five bucks now so, or, they, or they pay you to take it i t- i i didn't i didn't even have i was making sure i ha- didn't even have a cursed question but it was fascinating i'm so glad we, that's the reason why we love conversation <laughs> how did you get hooked we talked about Todd Farmer before this started mm-hmm. Todd Farmer is a fellow Kentuckian like the three of us how in the hell did you meet him uh, Why did you become I, so close, or at uh, least close working wise? Yeah, no, we're John and I are really good friends. We we um, here's what happened. I went to uh, uh, go to work at Revolution um, after my uh, first before Cursed, um, and was asked by Gloria Borders, who I worked with when she was up at Skywalker Sound. Um, she was then had a post at Revolution to come in and do a recut. And talk about some reshoots for a movie called Darkness Falls. Yep, we've seen it. Um, so best version of the Tooth Fairy ever. Yeah. Uh, well, there was no Tooth Fairy before I got there. Uh, oh, you know, uh, we you... worked with we worked with Lou Arkoff. That's where I met Lou Arkoff. Um, and uh, we, Lou and I, went and worked with Stan Winston. Uh, Stan came up with the creature. We came up with the mask because the creature on its own was going to be a ratings problem. If you just had that creature exposed by the time I have the mask over there, yeah. uh, in this oh. room. uh, here, I'll, 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 I'll unplug. While you're doing that, I'm you want to you. grab something too to show you. So, uh, I don't know if you can see, I don't even know oh, what I'm looking cool. at. So there's the mask and the mask from trick and then, uh, and then one of the masks from, uh, the, the purge. That's amazing. Uh, that's awesome. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the Winston guys gave me that. They, they were great, you know, but we came up with the idea for the teeth and, and, and uh, how the puppet would work. We brought in a um, part of the wire crew that we worked with on, on uh, Dracula 2000 to double, um, to double for the Tooth Fairy. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, do that full burn on fire during a drought in Australia and, and had to do the sequence twice, the exact moves that the pup could move. Had to, yeah. you know, because the pup could only do so many things on fire. It was suspended above a green sea. Uh, it was crazy to watch. Awesome. Um, 
David Wald, I think was his name. Uh, but after, you know, the, the movie before I came on and before Lou came on um, scored like, I think a 25 in previews after we came on and did uh, oversaw, uh, wrote and oversaw 15 days of reshoots um, and cut them together, the movie scored a 75. That's great, yeah. So it was a huge improvement. They now had a monster. They had the movie was very lean. We stripped it down to the bare minimum editorially. Um, you know, working with Jonathan Leesman, he was he was there during the process, and and uh, uh, and then out of that, they said, "Hey, do you want to direct this movie called Scarecrow that Todd Farmer was writing?" Mm -hmm. uh, so Todd and I. Uh, met and uh, talked through uh, where he was in the draft, read the draft. We turned around some notes. We turned it into the studio. Uh, we did a couple drafts and then uh, they were like, oh, we think we might want to do something different. And then eventually they put it into turnaround. Um, so I wasn't on the movie. Todd wasn't on the movie. And they sold the script to Sam Raimi's company uh, at the time, Ghost House, whatever it was called. And they made it as The Messengers. Yeah. Um, and then Todd's original script was basically used for the messengers too, but, um, but, uh, sort of shrunk down budget wise. Yeah. Um, but then Todd and I just stayed friends. We pitched a version of Hills of Eyes, but they already had one that they were going to do to Wes. Um, we pitched this crazy underwater ghost story that would have cost a hundred million dollars to make <laughs> we're very lucky nobody made it um uh but we pitched it all over town and, and and that was good and then and then just stayed in touch for years and we're really good friends and wrote a number of things together and then finally um when there we needed somebody to redo all the rewrites and, and get valentine in shape to shoot i taught him to do that um and then he and i did uh drive angry together and then uh, you know done several things since then, Trick being the one that actually got made, but we wrote a version of um, I Saw What You Did, I Know Who You Are for Dark Castle. Um, we wrote a pilot for a Canadian company and uh, a number of other things over the years. Oh, so you almost did a movie for Dark Castle. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It was back when um, they did movies and made a Back when they did movies. So they, they I have turned out the rights for it were a little more complicated than expected. We, we wrote. You know, we pitched a version of I Saw What You Did, I Know Who You Are. Do you know that premise of that? I do yes. not. Can you explain it so to me? It is, it is uh, two high school girls crank call somebody and said, I, I saw what you did, I know who you are. In the original version, they call uh, uh, a guy who's just murdered his wife. Yeah. And then he, then he chases them, hunts them right. down. So our version was two girls who do it from... Uh, the bully cheer cheerleader's phone. They find her phone in the in the change room after PE, and they call from her phone. Oh. And they inadvertently call this woman who's just been murdered by an assassin. So oh. our whole thing was we wanted to do three days of the Condor in high school. <laughs> so that was the premise, and it was. And you didn't know who the killer was. There was a big scene in the middle of the movie where there's like two FBI guys, a cop, uh, 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 school liaison, all these guys who nobody knew in the room. And one of them is the killer. You don't know who it is. Um, and with the two girls in the in locker room, then all hell breaks loose. It was, it was pretty fun. Um, but uh, ultimately, it never got made for a lot of reasons. But, uh, so you were involved with a lot of reboots, 
remakes. You and Todd both. I mean, didn't you guys do it? You did. I mean, you worked on Halloween 3D. 3D, yeah, yeah. We were we were five weeks out from shooting that when when Bob Bob suddenly went dark one weekend. Nobody could figure it out. You know, we had crew hired. We had locations in, in Shreveport. We were going to shoot it in Shreveport just before we shot Drive Angry. Uh -huh. We had all the producers from Drive Angry were on board. We had it all figured out how to do it. And then nobody get a hold of Bob for the weekend. Then he calls up late Monday saying, we can't do it. We don't have the money. Oh. And that was that. And it was just like, what? <laughs> Um, part of it was yeah. they had given so much money, so much of the, their percentages away on Inglorious Bastards in order to get that movie released that all the profit from that they no longer had. So, so they, they just did that. And money. you would think it would be, oh, Halloween 3D. No brainer. going to have a big weekend, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was a fun script. You know, I, I guess it's floating out there. They one one of the cons a few last year. They did a they did a a live reading. Oh it, really? Which, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know I where it was, but it I saw up. that. So also, yeah. you guys did a treatment for the Fright Night. Or was it we did? Yes. Yeah. Right. We yeah we 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 pitched Fright Night. We didn't get that job. Um, uh, Marty and Oxen got that, but we pitched that, and uh, our version was. Um, basically, uh, turning the reference to the, to the vamp, Fright Night Vampire movies was an eighties version that we wanted it to be Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins, yeah, yeah, yeah. As the two vampire hunters. And, and, and yeah, that was the version we pitched. It was really fun. But I think Todd we, had posted a description of that a few years ago. On his yeah. Video, yeah. Was. It was fun. And, and, and I, I would have loved to have I'd loved to have done that. But, uh, Hellraiser? I, did you oh yeah, Hellraiser we went for a while, and and that went through so many changes, and and the version we pitched it it got away from very quickly, which which was unfortunate because that I still think was the best version was pitching you know sort of Fickner as Frank looking for the box in China. Oh yeah, that would have been yeah. perfect, and yeah. the best actor to play him. Well, and 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 it starts with with you know as a pinhead thing is he ends up in the building where it's being kept which turns into a whole box itself and they hold him down and they nail three spikes in his forehead um so he's going around the rest of the movie with these three fucking spikes like you know <laughs> sticking out of his forehead yeah it was fun but you know whatever yeah shit happens there's so many so many stories under the bridge i uh i have to interject here because i know I, I i know the studio may not be calling you up but Speaking of uh, Fickner, uh, the 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 I love Drive Angry, but he steals that movie. I'm fascinated oh, by the accountant as a character, Absolutely. and I wanted sequels of the accountant. Yeah, I, 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 I've pitched that to them. I've pitched that to them, and they're like, "No, we don't think we could do that." I've I've totally pitched uh, that. Let's make it, it an is, accountant movie. It is. I mean, I watched that film, and I love there's and, and what I think I love so much about that film is. There's lines in that movie I want to quote that I know I'll never have a reason to quote. Like, there's, <laughs> I'm never going to have to be like, I'm going to drink a beer from your skull. Nobody's ever going to, I'm never going to be in a situation where I can say that. But I love, it's just all so cool scenes. And they're. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. I, we, uh, you know, yeah. He's the one person who I, I, as a fat fuck, would be okay with him looking you, fat fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, uh, yeah. 
And uh, I, I, I just, so anyway, I just wanted to say that, yes, I, uh, um, if, if for some reason they say we need one large heavyset guy from Eastern Kentucky to well, sell. Well, you'll be the first one I call. Yeah, because right. I, I, would watch, I would watch, I would watch the account as a, a, a MacGyver TV show. If you want to do it like <laughs> MacGyver, I'll watch that. I'll watch it on Netflix. Basically, I'll do it like it's like green eggs and ham. I'll I'll watch it wherever it is. That's cool. I think the I'll accountant is, uh, you know, we talked about that. We talked about doing the accountant as a comic book. We talked about doing it as 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 uh, you know a version of him. We we at one point before the movie came out and didn't do so well, we had a thought of what a what a next version, next story would be, what that would be uh with with nick and 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 bill and and uh and amber and, and uh and david morse um but yeah you know uh shit uh doesn't happen sometimes <laughs> well, well i said I, I literally i i just wanted to say that that um I love that. Well, I will let them know. I will tell yeah, them. Yeah, they yeah, should make yeah, it for yeah. you. Anytime you need it, I uh, I will lovingly just pop up and say, "No, totally make this." Here's here's my twelve dollars. <laughs> well, advance. I think I think Bill would be on board. It's one of his favorite characters he's ever played. It is. Um, yeah. Like I said, uh, that that movie um, I, it was everything I needed it to be when I needed it. It was, it was great escapism. Well, it was great thrilled, entertainment. Thrilled by that. Thank you. So so I I, I wanted Glad to actually interject and say thank. You. Well, you're very welcome. I'm I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. So, Tommy Atkins. Tom Atkins. I've met Tom Atkins. I've talked to Tom Atkins. Do you, does he have naked pictures of you and Todd? Is that the reason why you keep going back, or you just love Tom Tommy that much? No, I I, I fell in love with Tom the moment I met him. Yeah. I, I, I you know we we were in Pittsburgh, and uh, Tom Piccarelli, uh, uh, genre writer, novelist, um, who's since passed away. Uh, lovely guy and great writer um uh he when i was telling him we were going to pittsburgh he said tom atkins lives in pittsburgh you got to hire tom atkins so i was like okay so it's a set up a meeting and um and uh tom and i met at a starbucks and you know we were there for i don't know an hour two hours or something like that and just we just hit it off it just like and and ever since then we're just like well you know Who's Tom going to play in this? How, how, that was the only problem with, you know, when we talked about doing a sequel to Valentine, we're like, well, how do we bring Tom back with an iron jaw? <laughs> <laughs> well, he also has another great line from that, uh, shoot their tars. Yeah, shoot their tars. Yeah, tars, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, I, I adore him. And uh, he's just such a good human. And uh, he... Uh, uh, we just swapped emails at the beginning of the of the lockdown for everybody, and he was talking about um, how much it felt like on the beach. I don't know if you've ever read that or seen the movie or anything like that old Stanley Craven movie with Pretty Pack, but it's it's apropos of the situation. And yeah. um, you know, he's a very thoughtful guy and and very funny and and incredibly kind. Uh, I have nothing but love for Mr. Atkins. I, uh, you gave him the most cinema, literally the most cinematic death in trick. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and we only had Tom for, for, for three days and it was so cold and, and, you know, in that scene in trick, we, we 48 hours before we shot it, um, we were supposed to shoot it at a drive-in. Um, there was 60 mile an hour winds and the set that we had built has started blowing away. So we found this church 
which was three doors down from where we were staying. And they were like, uh, the guy, the caretaker of the church was a huge Omar Epps. She was like, sure. Uh, and it was, you know, it was the first church in the U.S. to have electricity. It was put in by Edison himself. Um, where was the movie shot at? I didn't look it up. Uh, Newburgh, Newburgh, New York, okay. up in the Hudson Valley. So um, they uh, welcomed us with open arms, and and, uh, and we shot there. Their only thing was the next morning they had church services, so we had to be have everything out. So we were very cautious about. Well, we should probably shouldn't get blood on their on their. <laughs> Uh, they're a 150 year old Oregon. <laughs> so, so Tom's death was not as, as, as uh, gory as his death was in Valentine. <laughs> because well, let's talk a little bit about Trick. It was your last movie. How did it come about? And once again, it's you and Todd Farmer. Yeah, we, we wrote it in, uh, a couple of years before and then sort of played around with it and wrote other things and came back to it and then, and then uh, found a financier who was looking for uh, a movie to make. You know, the movie was originally budgeted at $5 million. We originally had Jeremy Maroney in the lead because I'd worked okay. with Jeremy on the Hulu movie. Uh -huh. um, but because we kept pushing and, and he was on three other, we kept pushing because they were, they don't, they had problems securing the money. Uh -huh. um, and, and, uh, Jeremy was in three TV shows at the time, the, uh, Righteous Gemstones and, yeah. uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. And, um, I can't remember the third, but, um, we ended up losing him like 10 days before we shot. Really? So, so that was, uh, but thankfully Omar came in and who I'd worked with in Dracula 2000. I was about to say, uh, so is that, how it, is that how yeah. it happened? Yeah. The relationship yeah. from Dracula 2000? Yeah. I hadn't spoken to Omar in years, but reached out to him, um, um, basically uh, begging and uh, he showed up and it was fantastic. So, um, you know, we, we after Valentine and, and, and because we had never got to do a sequel and we had so much sort of slasher on our brain, we had wanted to dip our toes back into that arena. Uh -huh. And then we talked about, you know, wanting to try a killer that was incredibly fast and not sort of a stalker, somebody who was yeah. sort of brutally fast. And, and, um, uh, and then it sort of reverse engineered a lot of stuff from the ending. Well, I was about to say, so did, yeah. you, did you have the idea of the ending of how you wanted to do it before? Originally, the first version is all supernatural. First oh, really? Was, so oh, you took the supernatural part out of it? Uh, cool. Yeah, and then and then we were like, you know, we're not going to have, we're not going to have the money to pull that off the way oh. we had wanted it. And then and then we were kicking around. It's like, what if we did this? What if we and and we were getting hit by all the you know the sort of the fake news shit and all that other stuff. And it's like, you know, there's a whole mentality of trying to make people believe something. Yeah, that may that may not be true, um, and we sort of thought that was thematically intriguing. Yeah, um, so we lent into that, but it you know that was uh, that original schedule was supposed to be something like thirty days, thirty five days, and five million dollars. We made it for like two and a half million dollars in twenty days, and and it was it was a fucking race, and it was so. How did you pull cool. it off in twenty some days? Yeah, other than you being a will, <laughs> we had a great cast who were up for anything. Like, uh, no, you know, they wouldn't leave the set; they were constantly there. Um, great uh, DP. She was also the operator. Yeah, uh, Matt, she and I'd worked together once before, and 
uh, you know, and Todd was there helping to rewrite things so that we could manage it in the, in the time because he was also in it. Yeah, well, and he didn't take his shirt off this time. So. He didn't take his shirt off or his pants. But it was so cold. Um, you know, that scene up on the roof of that church, yeah. uh, never been so cold. That poor uh, Sasha Diamond, who, is, who plays the, the police officer who gets killed, is lying dead on that roof. Yeah. We're just shivering. We were trying to get her not to shiver whenever we tilt down. That's why you see her body so seldom because it was, it was the wind howling off the Hudson. Um, <laughs> it was like 20 degrees and, and not including wind chill. Um, but, you know, it, uh, you, you, that kind of pressure and those kind of challenges, you're, you know, again, it's the type of thing that's like, okay, this isn't necessarily the movie we set out to make, but this is the movie we're going to get to make. So okay. let's make the best version of that we can. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I think some website wrongfully reported that we shot the opening party scene in like eight days, but we shot it in eight hours. You got all that? In eight, eight hours. hours. Eight hours. Really? Single camera. With, Single camera in eight hours. With the intercutting and all the stab and the, the practice. Eight hours. And it was the way we shot it is we would shoot one part of it and then we would reset and then we would move in and then we'd shoot it again. And Gary would there blood and we would always shoot and everything. The blood drove everything. Your forward yeah, progression was always right. about when you brought in the blood. So you'd be like, and and Amanda was because she would you know have the rig on and be uh -huh. shooting it and we, yeah it was it was um, incredible I, how fast we had to go. And I know I need to be. Uh, we didn't actually talk about the time and length, and I, I don't want to be respectful of your time. We've been on here a while, but uh, really quick, you didn't edit. I know. I'm sorry. Hey, yeah. but that's a good thing that you didn't <laughs> no, know it's been going this long. <laughs> no, my wife hasn't come knocking on the door yet. Well, so well, hopefully <laughs> this hasn't. Been, I always say this. Hopefully this hasn't been as bad as you thought it might be. <laughs> I didn't think it would be bad at all. I thought it would be fun, and it is. Well, fun. we've had some that have been a little rough on our side, oh, but well, that's okay. Sorry. What we've had a blast, but you turned over editing on this. How was? How well, I, I had my own avid, but Tommy Tommy cut this, and uh, on the previous one I did Kayla uh, Emter, she cut that, and uh, um, but I had my own avid for part of it, so I would noodle away on certain scenes, and and oh, I'm gonna just I'll just go over here and do this. So Tommy did an amazing job. Tommy Agard was uh, yeah, uh, he was the post PA when we were at Lionsgate when we were in Valentine. Oh, really yeah and and he had reached out to me like the year before and uh uh and i was just like yeah i got this movie if you want to come do it it's it's um i just knew with the schedule the way it was because we had to finish it so fast you know we finished we turned the mix over the final version over before the end of july uh yeah. we didn't start shooting until the second week of march uh so it was you know, why, the had, time, why the time crunch? Why, why does it have to uh, There's no money to do it any longer. There's no money to do the, to no give it the time. There's no money to, you know, they, the, that was, that was a problem. So, you know, the, I had a bunch of friends up at Skywalker who, you know, had worked on all the Marvel movies. It's essentially like, like the mixer sound, the main mixer sound designer had done Steve Bodeker. He had done yeah. Black Panther and he was, he was like, absolutely. And, and they were all like, you know, this is such a difference from even from the, from the superhero movies 
or the Pixar movies. So we'll totally come in and kill some teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob Zombie's talked about that when he did 31 in crowdfunding. He said he saved yeah. all the crowdfunding money. He had money, but he saved the crowdfunding for post because he said that's yeah. where you run out of money. You just, that's, there's never that's, been money for That's post. totally what happened. We, you know, Tommy ended up doing a, a, a bunch of the visual effects himself um, in like After Effects uh, at the end. Um, I, I was cutting in all the ADR myself. You know, we had actors doing ADR on their phones because they wouldn't pay for them to the ADR to be done. I'm not supposed to say that, but I did. Um, okay. Um, we uh, they probably are not going to be listening to this. Anyway, uh, yes. So we uh, know that our audience isn't that huge. So <laughs> we appreciate it. Yet. <laughs> Let's hope. Oh, sir. <laughs> The, the the way to be huge in this industry is to be already famous. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> we yeah, missed a step. <laughs> we missed a step. And, and we love talking to production people. And you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Chad, do you have any? Yeah, I will say before we go, before we wrap, and I struggled because there was a, uh, you know, we've gotten a couple actor stories. And I've been struggling going, oh, which one do I ask? But I'm going to have to. So you, you've worked with him a few times. So talk to me about Nathan Fillion. Oh, I love Nathan. Nathan is, is he's a fellow Canadian. My God. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, Nathan, um, it's funny. Nathan auditioned for Omar's part on Dracula 2000. Oh, really? And, and Omar's performance is actually, that part was rewritten based on Nathan's audition. <laughs> um, and then... When it came to... That's a hell of a way to give somebody a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it came to, you know, we needed to, to do, uh, add this new character in Dracula 2000. Um, they had talked about a different actor who, if we had scheduled it on one day, that other actor would be available. And I was like, no, 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 I want Nathan. Uh, Nathan, you know, could do it in any of those times. And then the producer was just like, right, well, we can't do it on those, on those other days. So we'll do it on the days that, they, you know, uh, that, that the other guy's not available. And we got Nathan to come in and do it, which was fantastic. Um, and then I worked with Nathan again on White Noise 2. And he was yeah. the first one I pitched for that. And they had just, the producers had just worked with him on Slither. Um, uh, which is a great underrated film that no one ever talks film. about. Yeah. Right. The, the, the scene at the end when he talks about, you know, to, uh, tell him how I killed that deer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, James Gunn, you know, I, I remember meeting James Gunn back then and, and uh, he's a he's a great filmmaker and very well, good writer. Maybe a, he'll go on and do something. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe you we're think? holding out hope. That's another yeah. one of those I remember being there opening night. Uh, so we, there, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. were uh, we were there, the, it was not packed. No, it wasn't packed in Vancouver. We went with Nathan. Uh, we were shooting White Noise two at a time. And it was it was like oh, but I love that film. It was oh, we do too. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a great film. And uh, yeah, and I, I still uh, hear from Nathan from time to time, and we talk about working together again. We've tried a few times, and, and things haven't lined up, um, you know, because he's so busy with his TV schedule. So well, yeah, maybe uh, one, once again, if he gets you know something, if he gets you know, has yeah. Well, we had we had talked about him playing Billy Burke's part in Drive Angry. Oh really? And, uh, but uh -huh. he wasn't finished Castle in time. We already had a schedule conflict with uh, we already had a schedule conflict with Nick, mm -hmm. so we couldn't have any other schedule conflicts. And and so um, and Billy was awesome. I was thrilled to work with Billy. I'd work with Billy anytime, anywhere. Um, I love working with him. And, I love uh, the fact you don't have a lot of negative stories about actors. 
No, actors are great. Oh, I was really tempted to ask for one specific actor who might, but I'm. Which one? Which one? It's in his very first. uh, So, you know, we were talking about Prophecy 3 and Christopher Walken. But also in that movie is one Brad Dourif. (laughs) Brad was great. Uh, Brad is, is a unique character. Uh, I have, we've met Brad. Brad yeah, was very nice. Brad. Brad was awesome. In the scene where Brad's dead in that movie, he was lying there in the room because uh, he had his, you know, sort of arm slashed and he was looking up at the ceiling. Yeah. And it was just like, well, we're, we're just resetting the lighting. You know, we're probably going to be about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. You know, you can go. And he says, no, no, I'm, I, I, I'm fine here. <laughs> they dead the whole time. And to the point where we forgot he was there until somebody brought in little pizza squares. Uh, anybody want some pizza squares? And, <laughs> and suddenly this corpse says, save one for me. Um, and, and it was just like, we literally <laughs> forgot he was sitting in the room. It was, um, no, Durf was fantastic. He was, yeah, he's, one, he's one of our favorite actors. I feel like him and Nathan Fillion uh, are in the same range of great actors who just I know Nathan gets plenty of work, but he does not get enough credit for his acting. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Nathan's an incredible talent. And uh, some of the scenes and stuff we did on, on White Noise 2, which I think nobody saw, less people than saw that than saw Drive Angry. Um, and, and he's wonderful in it. And, it's, and it has a lot of emotional complexity to it. And it's, and, you know, and it's, and it's this whole sort of tragic role. And um, yeah. Nathan did a great job. He was a lot of fun. I tell you um, about just random, random nerd thing. Um, and I don't like to, th- don't, don't even like to talk about it. It's one of the biggest disappointments in my cinema love is uh, the Green Lantern. Uh, yeah. When they, when they announced they were doing that movie, I was like, oh, Nathan has to do this. <laughs> Nathan, of course. Is the, Nathan is the Green Lantern. And then they don't cast him to cast around. He's, he's the Hal Jordan you want to see. Yeah. And then, and then what happens two or three years later? He is now the voice of Green Lantern in all the DC animated movies. And I'm just like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sorry. That really, was my one dork rant. Really quick. Who were you who did you think we were gonna ask? Come on, say it. No, I didn't I didn't know. I didn't I didn't know. The, uh, the second you said prophecy, I figured it was Brad. Yeah, I, I was uh, sitting here foaming at the bit this whole time going, yeah. I need to know no, I, 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 about didn't, Brad. I, didn't, I didn't know. I've I've been very like a lot of different actors. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, we'll end it there. We'll end it on a positive. <laughs> I always want to ask. Who's I only the have first. positive choice. I, I, you know, I, 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 I feel I have been incredibly lucky to do this job. And well, and, sir, uh, tonight we've been you. incredibly lucky because you. I know this has taken a couple of years, <laughs> but that's okay. You're not the only one that's taken me a couple of years. I hope this has been as much fun for you as it has been for us. We've enjoyed the stories. We love talking our favorite thing. We actually don't talk that much to actors. We love talking to production folks. If you go right. through a lot of our catalog, great. What you know, we do we do certain shows that are just us about certain things, but almost all of our interviews are with production folks, directors, production designers, writers artists and you have been an absolute treat thank you so much for well, thank you not only thank, all the entertainment thank, thank you all it's been lovely to chat with you and i love the fact that you have a y-wing the original y-wing behind you oh uh, i have that in storage well i'll tell you what we will stop recording for a second <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that okay so this has been bonehead thank you so much patrick thank you have a wonderful night
Uh,